0: Welcome to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast, where building a thriving real estate investing business has less to do with subway tile and shiplap and everything to do with whether you've laid a solid foundation to support the life of your dreams. I'm your real estate lawyer turned legal educator host, Bonnie Gallam. In my years building a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio, the most important lesson I've learned is that being a successful real estate investor isn't about secret strategies or ninja tactics. It's about doing the basic stuff right and staying laser focused. If you're an ambitious real estate investor, or one in the making who's looking to build a real estate portfolio that's secure, streamlined, and creates a life you love, you're in the right place. Each week here on the show, you'll get clear, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you build your real estate business and some tough love along the way to make sure you're not building a house of cards. Let's get started and welcome to this week's episode of the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is your host, Bonnie Gallum, and this week's episode is going to be a little bit more personal than normal, but this is an important part of my story. It's, it's not really something I've shared about too much um, on social media or here on the podcast, but since this month is Disability Awareness Month, and I realize that there is a month for everything these days, um, it. I feel like the disabled community and real estate investing has never really talked about much. And while I, I don't really personally consider myself disabled, and frankly, I don't think a lot of disabled people in the more you know traditional, you know physical sense consider themselves to be disabled either. the The reality is is that my life started out a lot different than most people's, and in some ways, it you know it continues to look different to this day. And you know, most days I don't really ever think about my health, which is a blessing I know that many other people don't have. And I'm, you know, very conscious of that. But on this particular day that I received this particular phone call, it it really brought my health front and center and made me face it. And It was kind of one of those days and uh, let me know uh, on social media, shoot me a DM if if you've ever felt this way as well. There was like a, a before and after, like there was like the way I looked at life before this moment, and this phone call, and the the way that I, you know, have my life now. And th- this call, which I'll, you know, explain in more detail in just a minute, really devastated me in the moment um, for like a week. <laughs> I was depressed, to say the least. Um, and, you know, really once I got through that cloud of emotions, though, that, you know, hit me like a storm in the moment. I, I, I'm really it made me so much more thankful for our real estate and really made me more determined to grow it and continue growing our other investments and really, you know, learn and focus on financial independence. And, you know, this will all make a lot more sense once I give you some context. But I, I really wanted to highlight and have this discussion because um I I want to invite and you know make the disabled community, um, or you know, other people who have otherwise felt that you know, real estate investing isn't for them, or that you know, they feel financially stuck based off of their position that financial independence is for you, it's for them, Um, and there shouldn't be that you know, mental barrier of entry. And so, what we're gonna do is first, we're gonna go back in time a bit to 1990, the year that I was born, and when I was born everyone thought I was a normal, healthy baby. And then I turned blue, Um, which if you're a parent is probably every parent's worst nightmare. Now that I've had two kids of my own, um, I literally cannot fathom what my parents probably went through. And I was born at a fairly small, somewhat rural hospital that thought I had pneumonia. They put me in an incubator and I was still blue. No bueno. Um, And so eventually, I, I, I believe an Someone figured out—I think it was a cardiologist—that I was actually having a a cardiac problem, and so they sent me up to Children's Hospital Philadelphia, which at the time—and you know, still to this day—is like one of the preeminent children's hospitals in the entire country. And I'm so so thankful that we—I happened to be born within an hour of Philadelphia, so that I was able to be treated um, at that hospital by two. a world, truly world-renowned pediatric heart surgeon because I was born with a condition called transposition of the great arteries, uh, which without going into the great medical detail of it, the blood in my body was never reaching my lungs to be reoxygenated because of the way that my heart was formed. The blood was just recirculating, and so that's why I would turn blue is because all the blood was staying blue. It was never going back to the lungs to turn read. And so I, I had open heart surgery the day after I was born by Dr. Norwood, who, like I mentioned, world, world renowned heart surgeon. And, and the surgery I had was really kind of cutting edge at that time. It was only kind of in practice for maybe two or three years. It's these late 80s, ba- late 1980s babies, who were really the first ones to have it. It was really only at these, you know, major medical centers, like, you know, Boston Children's and, you know, Philadelphia Children's and um, Texas Children's down in Houston, where they're, you know, these major, major cardiac centers. And the reality is, is that babies otherwise weren't, you know, you had to have this fix or you would not survive. And there were some old kind of clunky surgeries that were done for maybe, the previous th- 20 years or so. And so some babies were making it through those surgeries, but they were really clunky, they required multiple surgeries. And the outcomes just weren't as strong. And I mean, I'm very fortunate that the surgery that I have has, I, I believe, like well over a 90% survival rate now, but that that really wasn't always the case. Um, but the-, the good thing about, <laughs> if you could say, the heart condition that I was born with is that it it does have a very low, like, post-survival, uh, post-surgery uh, complication. Um, I, I, the crazy thing is, is one of my son's friends in, in daycare, he actually has the same condition that I do, in it, and it's just wild. I mean, the the kids these days are being told that they have no real limitations on their lives. Um, but when when I was a kid, and I, and I actually have some other complications uh, with my heart, in, in addition to the one that was fixed by surgery, um, it was it was different. Like I was the kid who was like medically excused from gym class for a few years. And I, you know, couldn't do the mile run and I couldn't do contact sports. And there was just a lot of kind of limitations and protections put around me. But like, I didn't really care. I mean, if you've met me in real life, I'm kind of like a bookish person. Like I'm not the person who screams um, you no know, athleticism. That that would be much more my husband. How I ended up with the jock, I, I don't really know, but I did. Um, and... It, I just, you know, I never really thought about it. My parents were great in making sure that, you know, I never felt that there wasn't anything I couldn't do if I if I wanted to, you know, outside of those like physical limitations that, you know, professionally, academically, that, you know, the sky was the limit for me. Um, and so for, you know, much of my life, I was just kind of, monitored by my medical team and they would do checkups. And, you know, there were some periods of time because I I also have an arrhythmia, which is an abnormal heartbeat. And so I'd be on medication and off medication. But I, I didn't really think about it like day to day. It's not something that like would interfere me like playing with friends or going swimming or things like that. And so... Fast forward to like 2016, one of the things that they there's a few things that they have to keep track of after you have heart surgery and scar tissue is one of them. There can be like narrowing of certain blood vessels in your body and they need to just make sure that they don't get too narrow, that the blood doesn't keep flowing through them. And so in addition to that, they, they also monitor heart valves which are like the little flaps that open and close every time your heart beats especially since with my surgery those got all moved around and so there can be some additional narrowing there and so in 2016 which was just a few months after i got married uh welcome to the family husband um i found out that that one of the problems in my heart went from like just keeping an eye on it to needing like near immediate intervention I'm like one of those people who like, I just go with the flow. The doctor says I need to do something, then I'm going to go do it. I don't give a lot of pushback (laughs) to people. If they say it needs to be done, I kind of trust that, you know, they're the ones who went to med school. They're the ones who, you know, understand and, you know, I'm taking their recommendation because I trust them with my life. Um, And so they fixed this issue that I had with a valve was out of in and out of the hospital in like two days, I think. And I didn't really think about it after that. I was like, great. That was an issue. We got it fixed, carrying on with my life. And fast forward again, until like 2019, I was pregnant with my daughter, who's my second child, and my husband and I decided it kind of made financial sense at this point to get some life insurance in place. And it, in addition to being like the financially responsible thing to do, it's just like the responsible adult thing to do. Now that you've like brought adult children or adult, adult, now that as an adult you've brought children into the world, and so you know, I never want to be one of those people who has to have like a GoFundMe like funeral or like to pay for my col- my kids' college expenses. Like we're like what we need to do is we need to get life insurance. And so I, at the time I had like a small term policy. From when I used to work in the government. And it was maybe like, I think it's like a $300,000 policy. And that was the max that we could get through this company without having a physical and if you haven't gotten life insurance before there's often this like physical exam and some blood work that's taken and like this encyclopedia (laughs) amount of like medical information you have to provide like do you regularly go skydiving are you a smoker like are you how often do you exercise like a million different questions about your lifestyle and your health Um, but since at the time i was in law enforcement we had access to like some special policies through the government, which while they were like more expensive than like a general market uh, life insurance, just due to the nature of what law enforcement does, they, we were able to get a certain amount without actually going through that like health examination. And so for a few years, that's the, you know, that amount of money made sense to us. We, you know, I think that I had that before I even had my first kid, but we only had one kid and we had this little house and, um, We kind of did the math and we knew that like that amount of insurance on me would be enough to pay off the house and still have like a decent chunk left over for college or something. Um, But when number two came around or was about to come around because I was pregnant with her at the time, I I distinctly remember that. um, We knew there was going to be more financial responsibility. This is like a second kid now that we have to think about putting through school. And we had actually moved to a newer house. It wasn't like that big of like a financial jump for us from the old house to the new house. But we just knew that the, the old amount wasn't going to cut it. it. It made sense for us at this point to you know talk with our financial advisor and get some more insurance on me and also my husband. And so we, we met with our, who's like now old, uh, financial advisor and did the whole paperwork, did this, that, and the other. Um, I obviously disclosed everything like you never want to lie on your insurance application, whether it's for life and insurance or for... Um, you know, homeowners insurance, like you, you always have to tell the truth, because I've said this a million times, insurance companies favorite thing to do is to find a loophole for them not to issue coverage over the matter. And so if they found out that, you know, I had lied on this, or, you know, if you lie on any insurance policy, that's like, do not pass go, they will probably find out, and they'll probably deny your claim at the end. And so that's not what happened. We were very upfront with my, my heart issues. And we, um, Actually, told them in advance, we're like, hey, we have this person. I shouldn't say that. My financial advisor was like, hey, we have this person. We want to apply for a policy. We know that you're good for people who have like existing health conditions. Here's what she has. Will you be able to insure her? And they're like, yeah. And we're sort of like, great. We submit the application in, maybe like a month later, um, they get a response back to us being like, denied. And all I got was like this phone call from the insurance company that was probably supposed to go to my financial advisor, frankly, but they called me and were just like, hey, we want to know that you've been denied life insurance. And I was so upset. I mean, think about it. I was 29 years old. I was pregnant. And I had a generic, you know, Karen on the phone saying, oh, uh, we don't think that you're going to live another 30 years. (laughs) We are not willing to take that bet. Oh, Lord, that was not happy. And I was not happy for like a week and I was not happy with my financial advisor. I kind of felt like she like set me up for this failure that she didn't do whatever check she needed to do. And it was just like this like mental roller coaster that I went through where I was just like, "Oh my god, like these actuaries, like they saw something in me that they legitimately don't think I'm going to live to be, you know, 60. Like they think that I'm too much of a financial risk that it's not even that they would give me like a more expensive policy. They were just like, "We're not willing to take you on as a risk." And oh my god, I was Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can probably tell from how I'm talking about it now, like it really really um kind of just like rocked me. And once I got through like the emotions of like, oh shit, this, excuse my language. I'll probably have to flag this now as explicit. Um, that, that, they're not going to financially take care of my family, then I'm going to have to financially take care of my family, which, you know, capitalist that I am is kind of like, all right, well, that makes sense. If, if, you know, I can't rely on someone else, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and we're going to make sure that we've got enough, you know, assets and passive income and market investment. So that way, if something was to happen to, to me in particular, my husband, because He's a fine specimen of a, knock on wood, <laughs> health specimen. Uh, he he had no problem getting the insurance. So it was really just me. And um, we just need to, you know, make sure that our fi- family's finances are protected. And so that's what we've kind of done over the last two years or so is kind of double down and be like, how can we make sure that we're financially protected in a way that is in our control? Because... There's no life insurance from the, you know, the big government. We've, you know, we've still got that small policy, which is better than nothing. But how can we just make sure across the board, whether it's retirement, like say something was to happen to either of us where we just physically can't work, what happens then? And so going through all of that has been a life changing. I I won't deny it. It's been something that, like I said before, like there's like a line in the sand of just like how I perceived my life, my finances, all of that, and then how I perceive it now. And so if you're someone or maybe you know someone um, where your health isn't insurable, um, the answer isn't just to throw in the towel. In, in my opinion, it's to invest. And yes, I realize that there's people out there who like have you know, such a level of um, health issues that like they do need to like rely on you know social programs to be able to to get through and and that's not who i'm talking about here but because in many ways that <laughs> investing can actually be counter to their to their best interest but talk with a special needs um you know wealth planner in those circumstances but what i plan to do is just that i plan to invest and i plan to invest and invest and invest and Reality is that no one will ever like capitalists shame me out of it. I mean, I'm sure you guys have all seen you know the landlord hate or the investor hate that happens particularly on social media, where it's like we're these big bad people, and I'm like, well, what's my alternative? What's my alternative? And so my alternative is not going to become so broke that I have to depend on the government. That is not me. That is not my goal. And that's not how I'm, I'm planning on securing my family's future. And so I'm going to invest without shame, without fear. And I want to encourage other people to do that. If you've ever gotten like news um, financially or in a similar way that I have where you're being told you can't plan for your family want to i want you to kind of push through that look be sad i i had like a solid week where i was miserable and but then see that it doesn't have to be that way it and i fully plan on being here plus 59 and so that's it for this week's episode. I know it's a little bit of a different episode than what I normally will drop, but I figured it it's an important conversation to have. And I, and I hope it opens the door uh, for someone who may otherwise feel financially stuck due to their health conditions. I hope it helps push them through. And if you know someone who could use listening to this message, please share it with them. Uh, next week, I am going to share an episode that I'm really kind of excited about. It's based off of an Instagram reel that I shared a few weeks ago about the 10 ways to legally end a contract. I got some DMs, a comment uh, from people saying, hey, can you give some examples of that? And so, you know, I've got stories for everything. And so stay tuned next week for 10 ways to legally end a contract. Some of them may be surprising to you. If you haven't already, hit subscribe and I will see you next week. If you want to continue the conversation, jump on over to the free Good Bones Real Estate Investing Facebook group. That's it for this episode of the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'll see you here next week, same time, same place. Until then, go out and build the real estate empire of your dreams. For listening to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now, this lawyer has got to drop the fine print real quick. This podcast is educational and not intended to be legal tax or investing advice for you. Please speak with a local professional for specific advice unique to you and your situation. That's it for this episode. Bye for now.